Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Friday, November the 6th. I'm Tom Tilley, and this is day two of our US election coverage. Jan Fran is here. Jan, were you on the Yellow Glen all day again yesterday <laughs> watching the coverage? <laughs> no, I wasn't. I thought that 10 hours of straight drinking the first day was enough. Um, I took a little bit easy yesterday, but still glued. Yeah, well, I guess we've all realised it's going to take a little bit longer. Yep. Um, we're going to get deep into it with a cross to a correspondent on the ground in America in just a moment because there's been um, protests at voting centres and legal challenges. First, here's the latest news. I know we were all wanting to wake up this morning and find out who was going to be the next president of the United States, but of course, we don't know. Yeah, at the moment, Joe Biden remains ahead uh, with 264 electoral college votes. He needs 270, which means he only needs to win one more state to yeah, become president. That's elect. right. Now, this is assuming that Biden has won the state of Arizona. So there is a little bit of conflicting reporting on that. The Associated Press and Fox News have already called it for Biden. CNN hasn't quite. Um, regardless, Biden is ahead in Arizona. So let us just assume he's won it. Yeah. Yeah, and in promising news for the Biden camp, um, his lead in the closely fought state of Nevada has widened. Yeah, there is still a path, though, to victory for Donald Trump. Uh, He has got 214 Electoral College votes, and he will get over the line if he can win in all four battleground states. So they're Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Georgia and Nevada. But as you just heard, Biden has the lead in Nevada. Yeah, and the Trump campaign has now filed about a dozen lawsuits in the key battleground states. Um, some are demanding voting to stop, some asking for recounts. Trump's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, is even claiming corruption, even though there's no evidence of that. Philadelphia, unfortunately, and I would say this about my own city, has a reputation for voter fraud. You have a reputation for dead people voting, and we're going to go look at just how many dead people voted here. I didn't think we'd have to do that, but we will. No, nobody thought they'd have to do that. I wonder how many dead people did vote in the election. Uh, Joe Biden is taking a bit of a different approach. He says that the division needs to stop. To make progress, we have to stop treating our opponents as enemies. We are not enemies. What brings us together as Americans is so much stronger than anything that can tear us apart. Now, Democrats have slammed the president calling the election a fraud, which is unsurprising. But what is maybe a little bit more surprising is that some key Republicans, um, and this includes Trump ally and the former New Jersey governor, Chris Christie, has also come out publicly slamming Trump. He says that there is no basis to Trump's argument. So that's interesting. Yeah, another critic is John Bolton. He used to be a member of Trump's inner circle. Uh, He was the national security advisor. Uh, He told 7.30 on ABC it's disgraceful what Trump's been doing. Any candidate wants to prevail, and he's certainly entitled to advocate his own case. But what's not permissible is for a president basically to attack his opponents in that way. And it's to set up a con job, really, on his own supporters. As for the lawsuits themselves, constitutional law expert Justin Levitt has told the ABC that they seem like a bit of a marketing tactic. Not all of them claim that there's been fraud. Not all of them even seek to do anything that would change the result of the election, even in a state. Candidly, they're a bit of a mess and they're all over the place. Yeah, and as the counting continues, tensions have boiled over in some of those battleground states. Uh, Armed guards have been brought in to protect voting centres, which are still counting, as Trump supporters hold rallies outside the buildings. What you're hearing there actually is is protesters in Detroit, Michigan, yelling out, stop the count. Now, Michigan is a key state there, a battleground state, 
and those protesters want counting to stop. Yeah, and in Arizona, a group of Trump supporters were chanting, count the votes, so basically the opposite thing. Um, Another crucial and undecided state is Nevada, where one rogue Trump supporter crashed a press conference and said this. The Biden crime family stealing the election! The media is covering up! The Biden crime family stealing this election! We want our freedom for the world! He's stealing that! Where were we? What was the last question? Yeah, where were we, I think, is probably the the most accurate thing said there. But, you know, as you can hear, tensions are running pretty high right across the country. Um, In Minnesota, the National Guard had to be called in because hundreds of people spent hours marching on a freeway rallying against President Trump's lawsuits. Yeah, so there's protesters from both sides out on the streets. It's a very interesting situation developing there. All right, we're going to leave the United States, come back here to Australia. Political games afoot here too. The New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian has revealed that she texted Anastasia Palaszczuk on Sunday congratulating her on her election win. I did not hear from her until last night when she sent me a text about the state of origin, which kind of, I didn't know whether to be shocked or bemused, frankly, because I'm worried about jobs and I'm worried about people not seeing their families. And she just rubbed in the fact that Queensland won the game. Oh, that hurts, doesn't it? As a New South Wales person. Yeah. (laughs) Can't these two women get it together and just talk? I'm finding that there's slightly increasing beef between the two of them, isn't there? And to rub in a state of origin, I mean, I don't even follow state of origin and I'm offended. I'm loving it. And Australia's most iconic LGBTQ event, uh, the Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras, will look very different next year. Yeah, officials have announced that it'll be held at the Sydney Cricket Ground instead of along Oxford Street. So 25,000 people will be allowed in, but they will have to pay. Here is the CEO, Albert Kruger. Our theme and our ambition being to rise. Our parade is not cancelled and it will be a ticketed event. Yeah, so it is a big change. I mean, this started decades ago as a protest marching along the streets of Sydney, Oxford Street, uh, Flinders Street, uh, and that won't be happening. So also a bit of a kick in the guts for all those businesses trying to get back up and running, but good that it's still happening. I mean, part of me is really happy that it still is managing to continue in some form, but, you know, Oxford Street is so iconic for the gay and lesbian Mardi Gras, and you just wonder how it'll go without it actually being there. All right, let's get deeper into the US election. We've got a Biden victory looking more and more likely. We've got protesters on the streets from both sides, some Trump supporters protesting outside voting centres, plus lawsuits pending. Hugh Remington is in Washington. You might know him from 10 News. He's the National Affairs Editor. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. The election is still on a knife's edge. What is the mood in the country like at the moment? Well, I, I, you, you'll see some pictures of uh, push and shove demonstrations in very, various forms around the country. Those are really the outliers. I think the, the real mood of the country is one of, of just a kind of suspended reality. People are waiting. They know there's a process. The streets yesterday, the day after the election, were in Washington. It was like they'd called a holiday and they'd said, it's the kind of holiday where you've got to leave town. It was almost like there was no one around. Wow. And uh, very kind of subdued mood. So everyone is waiting in this. The, the, the realization of how close it is is thrilling, I think, uh, Trump supporters and really dismaying <laughs> Biden supporters. But at the moment, Biden's looking possibly slightly better placed. That's where it is at the moment. Yeah, it's really hard to interpret the pictures that we're seeing coming out of the US, Hugh. We've we've seen some of those 
um, somewhat alarming images of of Trump supporters rocking up to a number of those voting centres. But yeah, it's it's hard to piece together if that's a a, a massive movement that's going to create a lot of tension or whether they are just a, a few small groups of people. Well, it is just a small groups of people, but you're right, it is a massive movement. Uh, this has been the Trump phenomenon, which is really a historical moment in, in, you know, for the United States and really for the world. As he has said repeatedly at his rallies, he says, I'm not a politician, I'm not a politician, I'm an outsider like you. He says, uh, we are a movement. He said it in 16, he's saying it again today. And what it is, uh, you know, a, a friend of mine who's, in, who's a sort of a, sits slightly to the side of the Republican Party, uh, but definitely in the Trump support camp, you'd call him, uh, just calls it a cult. It is a personality cult around Donald Trump. Mm. And that's why it is so important to listen to his words. And when he says incendiary things, which were amplified by his lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, in the last 24 hours, that this is uh, corruption across the country, national corruption, being defrauded, claiming victory while at the same time saying the whole thing is, uh, is a theft against the American people. The Trump supporters believe this, essentially, that they must defend them against a coup. Some of them use that language. And the similar language comes from some of these sort of, you know, organizations with a variety of names, mm. anti-fascist, fascist refusal, then there's Black Lives Matter. They also see there's a kind of a potential coup that Trump is carrying out against the people. So that is a very fevered atmosphere that the whole country's in at the moment. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the sort of incendiary stuff that the president says and that Rudy Giuliani says and some of the words being thrown around here. Um, you know, we've heard Trump call the election a fraud. That's been the big thing. Since his speech on election night, though, has Donald Trump and his campaign sort of told people to protest the results or encouraged anything like that to happen around the country? doesn't need to. And uh, But, I mean, if he did, they'd certainly protest. There's no question. If there was a call to arms, you might remember in the second debate, uh, Trump was pressed on why he didn't do more to denounce white supremacists. And the name of one particularly organized and widespread group called the Proud Boys, uh, why didn't denounce them? And he said, well, you know, I denounce white supremacy. I say to the Proud Boys, stand down and stand by. Now, that's a kind of a semi-military instruction. To, you tell an organization to stand by or a group of, of people to stand by, it means stay ready be ready to go. And if he was to uh, give a call out uh, or even someone who's associated with him closely like a Giuliani or other surrogates, if you like, for the president, then it would ramp out up to another level. He hasn't done it yet. He may not do it. But there's no doubt we've met them. There are enormous numbers of people in America. When I say enormous, it's not a majority of the population. It's not even half of Trump supporters, but they're big enough who are armed up and see themselves as being ready to be called on, if need be, to defend Trump, because they believe the only way he can lose this election is because it's been stolen from them. That's what they've been essentially trained to think. But so far, it looks like we're seeing, you know, you know, compared to, say, full-blown militias, we've seen relatively peaceful reactions from his supporters. That's true. That's true. I mean, there was a situation in Arizona. It was a large group of people in the end. It was probably like 100, 150 people turned up outside where they're counting the vote. Arizona is absolutely critical for Biden's hopes. You seem to be ahead, but as the count comes in, it's going. It's one of those that's swinging back towards Trump. And so they turned up chanting, count the vote, count the vote. That's fine. 
you know, making a lot of noise and singing other things. Were they able to actually disrupt anything in that time? No, well, they weren't trying to. But the, but the point about them was is that this being Arizona, many of them were there with arms and not just pistols on the hip. They had these semi-automatic assault weapons walking around. Wow. Now, if I'm counting a vote, most of them are volunteers, and you've got someone saying, count the vote, count the vote, outside, armed, while you're inside, it's at least you would say, even though it was good natured and never came to violence, good natured in the sense that they weren't, they weren't taking anyone on physically, it's kind of on the edge of intimidating election officials. You know, you, I think it would happen in Australia. You'd have someone would come out and say, look, you know, get real. They're doing a job. Back off. I think if someone rocked up with a gun outside a voting centre here in Australia and shouted, count the votes or stop the votes, I think we would lose it. I just don't think we'd be able to comprehend something like that here. So it's, it's, it's crazy no, to hear that's that happening in the States. No, but then that gets down to guns. Yeah, it gets down to guns and that's in the whole, a whole mother story, as they say. Hugh, what's your read on, on, on the count so far and which state is going to be crucial and which way it's going to go? We know it's hard to predict, but what do you see panning out? Well, I mean, it's not out of the woods for Trump. We, we, we should not, you know, there's, the, the Trump campaign manager said, look, we think we're going to have a very positive day, but we don't know, blah, blah. So that's fine. Uh, as it stands, there are a number of things in place. Phil, uh, Pennsylvania, prime among them, but Nevada and Arizona, which uh, had uh, Biden ahead, uh, those numbers have started to swing back against Biden, um, and we're expecting more numbers in a few hours. On the other hand, Georgia and Pennsylvania, where Trump was ahead, uh, those numbers are swinging back to Biden. If Pennsylvania goes to Biden, the game is over. But if he can't get Pennsylvania, he needs both Arizona and Nevada. That gets him to a bare 270. My guess is that he's not going to get Georgia. My gut feeling is he's not going to get Pennsylvania either. And that means he is dependent on getting Nevada or Arizona. Then you're left with two things. If he gets Nevada and Arizona, that gets him to just 270, which puts Trump on 268. And there will be litigation like you won't believe. They'll try to turn over one state furiously in the coming weeks with everything they can throw at it. It could be decided in the Supreme Court. If one of those, Nevada or Arizona, goes back to Trump, Trump's the president. What is happening with litigation? Because there have been several lawsuits filed in, in several states and, and Trump wants to pursue this through the Supreme Court. Does he have grounds to do that? What is he arguing there? Well, there are multiple grounds uh, in t- there are technical questions in law, but in Michigan, which is uh, critical, uh, there was a complaint that uh, poll watchers, a bit like scrutineers, but they're, they're slightly more intimidating than that, but there's, there's an allowance for poll watchers to be there, uh, that they were not allowed to watch some votes being counted in a Democratic county, and they claimed that uh, consequently they weren't able to satisfy themselves that it was a legitimate vote. In other words, it was someone pulling out of their pocket uh, you know, when they're going to vote, pulling out of their pockets 30 ballot things and shoving it through, whatever. So they have claimed that 125,000 votes should be taken out of the count. That would be enough because they'd be, as, as they themselves argue, the, the overwhelmingly Democratic votes. That would be enough to flip uh, Michigan. So that's mm. just one of the types of court cases. And there are others proliferating. Interestingly enough, they're taking legal challenges in Pennsylvania and Georgia some people argue you don't challenge a count if you think you're going to win it. Um, so does that show that they are fearful they're going to lose those? I suspect they're doing it preemptively as, just in case they do. 
you know, so they can, they've already got a legal process underway uh, because, of course, if you win it, suddenly all those legal challenges will disappear. Can you talk us through um, voter turnout a little bit this election? Because Joe Biden um, has won more votes overall. He's won the popular vote, but he's actually also won more votes overall than any presidential candidate in US history. So that's huge. Um, Trump also picked up 5 million more votes this year than what he did last election, which says something as well. What do you think these numbers tell us about where the heads of the American people are at? It's really interesting, the extra votes that uh, Trump picked up. I was down in Texas at a Trump rally, and I just thought as an exercise, I, I, I went down there in part to catch up with an old mate, uh, and he, <laughs> uh, I thought he might have voted Trump at the last election. He was a soldier I met in Iraq. And he said, no, no, I'm voting for him. I think he's been good for the economy. And this is, you know, this is not a kind of a, stereotypical sort of racist, redneck, what are all these sorts of things? You can't have half of America be treated as if they're cartoon characters. So, uh, and I thought, well, I'm really intrigued by this. So I went to the Trump rally and I spent a whole range of people in there who were plainly motivated enough for Trump to be out there. Um, is this the first time you voted for him? And a, a good number of them said yes. Oh, that's and, interesting. And this is because Trump, yeah, Trump has galvanized the notion of what it is to be an American patriot. And he represents that in the minds of significant numbers of Americans. Strangely, because of his own personal habits over his lifetime, he is seen as the savior of the Christian vote. And just outside Dallas, there's a vast billboard that's been paid for by someone else, which has a picture of, of, of a sort of, you know, safety looking Trump with a beam of light coming through from somewhere or other. And all the billboard says is, God shed his grace on thee. And there is a belief among many that he is the man holding out against the godless hordes of atheistic Democrats. And that has brought people across to his side. Mm. So that's where some of this Trump vote thing, and, and I've been fascinated by that. First time Trumpers in 2020. Then you get this other turnout to call out the vote that's gone to the Democrats, the determination to get rid of them. Add it all together, and you've got by far the biggest turnout in history. Uh, not, not in history, in modern history. In fact, they had higher percentages back in the, in the late uh, 19th century. But you've got this huge turnout as a consequence, because Biden has got more popular votes. He has become uh, the most voted for candidate in history and could still lose it. Let's not forget it. Mm. Wow. Mean, that's, that's, that's the interest here, isn't it? That's yeah. the knife's edge, yeah. It's a fascinating snapshot of... Um, Western civilization at the moment, Hugh. Um, thank you so much for, for all that insight and analysis. All, of it. <laughs> <laughs> all at once, depending which side you're on. Yeah, that's right. All right, Jan, that is it for another week of The Briefing. And our sponsor this week is ComBank, who are all about positivity and the can-do attitude. So we're going to send you into the weekend with our can-do moment of the week, which goes to... Let me do a drum roll. <laughs> It's pretty great news to the state of Victoria. For the sixth day in a row, the state had no new cases and no deaths. Pretty amazing, isn't it? The whole state of Victoria. Yeah, so six days with zero cases. And by the time you're hearing this, they might have even announced a seventh day straight. Metro Melbourne's 14-day average is now down to 1.4, while for regional Victoria, it is a big fat donut. Yeah, That's and- zero, by the way. <laughs> there are only two mystery cases as well, and there's no cases left in aged care. They are killing it down there. Donuts in aged care as well. Yep. Um, here's the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. As we look around the world today, and particularly as we look in Europe, as we see countries locking down, in Australia, we're seeing Australia open up. In Australia, we're looking forward to 2021. 
Yeah, so I think after all that, that tension around the, the lockdown policy, um, it was a very difficult time for people in Melbourne. Months of lockdown, um, one of the world's longest lockdown, if not yeah, the troopers. world's longest. To actually achieve something like this and start enjoying their freedom is pretty amazing. Yeah, and I think the PM, that's just side news, announcing two new vaccine deals for Australia, meaning that we've now signed on to four potential vaccines rather than two. Good contingency plan there. So take that good news into your weekend and we'll catch you next week. Bye. A podcast one production.